Hello, my name is Giancarlo and welcome to the Creative Gap Podcast. This show is meant to guide creatives, filmmakers, entrepreneurs, designers, artists. We are going to be talking about all things related to craft, passion, ownership, self-employment, physical, mental health, and a bunch of other things too. So hopefully you enjoy Welcome back to the Creative Gap Podcast. I'm very, very excited with today's guest. I'm a huge fan of his work, Mateus Bastos here. He is an amazing DP based in New Jersey, but travels all over. Um, really huge fan, and I'm really, really excited to talk to him today. Um, thank you for joining us on today's episode. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Absolutely. So for some people that don't know a little bit about you, can you give us a little background about you, where you're from and kind of your journey and how you found film and cinematography? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> a few people uh, who might know me, who might listen to this already know the story, but um, I'm from New Jersey. I work mostly in New York and I travel a lot. Um, a lot of international short films and features and I just kind of bounce around a lot. I, I kind of work here the least, which is kind of fun. Um, as far as how I got into film, I came into film by way of photography, which was by way of music. I grew up playing in like um, punk bands and hardcore bands and metal bands and then became like indie alternative bands for a long time. And I always just kind of made our own content and photography, album art, music videos, just because we were too young and broke to afford anyone else. So I just kind of started doing that. And then um, a lot of my friends who continued on playing music after I kind of put that part of my life to rest. Um, they ended up getting signed to record labels. And, and so they started having, you know, somewhat of a budget and I would shoot videos for them. And those videos started getting more views. And then my friends would become directors. And I sort of just took on this role of a cinematographer through, through music videos. And it, it was a great way for me to still be kind of connected to the music scene and give back in a way. Cause I was always really about community and, when my time playing music kind of came to an end, that was my way of sort of still being a part of it, which was really nice. That's awesome. Uh, so similarly, I, I started my kind of creative journey through music as well, not in the punk mm -hmm. scene. Um, I was mm -hmm. more of a EDM producer, DJ, audio engineer. Yep. Yep. Uh, so it's really fascinating. I hear a lot of people starting their journey through like music is that, that creative outlet. Um, how do you, do you kind of miss it? at all making music because sometimes i feel like i miss it a little bit 100 percent, man 100 percent. i miss it a lot it was like i felt like the only things i was ever really good at in life were like music and film and um you know when i was in the band doing music stuff film was kind of more of a hobby like i kind of did it on the side or for fun or i started maybe doing a music video here music video there and then once like the shift kind of happened where it became film full time and music kind of took a backseat. I found that like the fall off was much steeper, like music kind of almost went away completely and it was all just film. I and I, I love what I do and I'm so happy I do it. And I think it's, it's a much better career option for me than music was. You might feel the same, but I totally, I miss it. You know, I, the band that I was in and we're, 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 some of my old band members, like some, one of them became a music composer. And so, we still get to work together in some capacity. I bring them out to jobs or I, you know, we, we still collaborate, but it was, it was, it was a bummer. Cause you know, it kind of just like the steep fall off happened and I miss it. But funny enough, when I was in LA, I was, I was out there um, taking meetings to eventually sign with my agent. And the same night that I got represented with my agency, APA, me and my old bandmates, we actually all met up in LA and we just had like a final little jam night. We just kind of so played cool. old songs and we just got to, we rented a studio from like midnight to two, 3 AM. And we just like jammed and we were rusty and it was fun and blah, blah, blah. But it was interesting that like it happened on the same night and it almost felt like it was actually really therapeutic or really, um, know what the word, like there's closure. Like I am, started this new chapter of my film career and I kind of closed the book on the music thing. And, you know, will I play music again? I think I will. But as far as like the lingering feelings of like, Oh, I was in a band. This was my, like for, I, I thought I was going to be a musician for life. You know, that was like my life uh, or, or I was going to be like working musician for life. And I closed that chapter and that book and it felt 
like at peace, which is really beautiful. So yeah, I, I miss it, but I'm, I'm happy to be where, where we're headed towards. Uh, dude, that's a great story. Oh man, yeah, man. that's so cool. <laughs> uh, I definitely <laughs> want to, I definitely want to talk about that agency thing in a little bit, because that's mm-hmm. something I'm personally very curious about. Uh, but mm-hmm. so you didn't go to school for film. You just kind of picked it up or did, were you a kid that was always running around with a super eight camera? Like how did you even find yeah. photography? So I, I did go to school actually photography. I think I was always just interested in photos. The long story short, like many other people sort of, um, getting into film story was I watched star Wars and Lord of the Rings as a kid. And I was like, I want to make movies. And I didn't quite know what that meant. And I started learning a little bit more about movies and who directors are and what this and that means. And then and the music thing came in and kind of like stalled any passion I had for film by like eight years. Like I just really followed the music thing. And then, like I had mentioned, I always kind of been interested in photography. We had like a T2i family camera and they would also do videos. So then I started making some videos. And then I didn't go to proper film school for my undergrad. I went to like a communication school that had a media production focus. But then I actually did go to grad school for film, which was, uh, it was interesting because. What school? I went to Emerson, Emerson College okay, nice. in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm thankful that I went because I met so many of my like dear best friends and collaborators now. Um, but it was interesting because the grad school had such a focus on the singular artist voice and that, that being like a writer director mostly. So I benefited being like the only one of the few cinematographers in the grad program. So I got to shoot a lot of stuff, but I definitely found like some, I'll call it resistance, you know, trying to work my way through this program assuring everyone that like a cinematographer is a singular artist voice and and we got through that but it it was funny because i i had been working you know i'd say professionally professionally just means like making money and it doesn't have to be a lot of money uh but like sophomore year of my undergrad so i had been working and shooting all the way from sophomore year to the end of my grad program so it's funny because i kind of view like my onset world uh my onset practice as my film school and film school was more of a place to kind of safely fail, you know? And mm-hmm. I thought that was beautiful. I even taught for a few years. I taught for two years at, in a, in a university level and I had students and I, I feel like all those things kind of added up to what it was to be, um, a filmmaker for me because yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the one making movies at like eight years old. I, I didn't start doing film stuff till I was like, you know, 18 or 19, but, um, that being said, I was the person who was eight years old writing short stories and then having my friends play them out of recess and casting roles and oh, that's so directing cool. almost theater. Like I, I was more in mm-hmm. that. So I knew it was always storytelling, but I, I didn't know the, um, the formatic capacity would be film. Cause I, I didn't, my mind didn't um, like, I thought films were just kind of given to us by like the universe. And, you know, I didn't know if people made them. So all of a sudden when I found out like, Oh, there's producers and directors, that started to get the ball rolling um, at a much later age than a lot of other people. Definitely. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if this is a trend or something that I noticed, but a lot of people that go to film school, when they come out, they tend to work on a lot more narrative projects than mm. say commercials, for example. I didn't go to film school. So mm-hmm. I, my film school is essentially being a PA on sets, commercials, mm-hmm. documentaries, all these things. And now most of the work that I do is like 90% commercials and every so often mm-hmm. I'll get a narrative project. Do you think going to film school kind and working with those people immediately helped you get into the narrative world uh, quicker, essentially? Mm-hmm. I, I'd say so. I, I'd say it's a little bit of, cause when you're in school, you're sort of like all your projects are narrative based mostly. Right. Um, sometimes there's a, I would say a, um, a smart few who know they kind of want to head into commercials and, they've done research or they've been aware of certain production companies and they live in a certain area where, you know, I, I knew some people who, um, for like their thesis project, they were actually developing some more like commercial narrative, like, like sh- stuff that would equate to like a really nice, like branded narrative doc content mm-hmm. piece, you know, those kind of mixture things. Yep. And, um, whereas a lot, a big majority of people were, you know, like I think a film school is a lot of people watching narrative features and trying to make short versions of those narrative features. And, you know, struggling with the structure and figuring that out. But I find that then once you kind of come out, the burning passion is to still make narrative. Um, the reality is that a lot of people don't because they have to then pay bills and get jobs. And 
So I find that out of film school, the two paths are kind of like people freelance into music videos and commercials and crewing on set and trying to make that happen to eventually make their shorts. Or they end up working somewhere like a production company or an agency or a development place and still trying to fund their shorts. So I think that for me, I benefited from always kind of being a more narrative focused person. And I think I put that out there almost subconsciously or maybe consciously that just like, I love music videos. That's where I guess where I got my start and I like commercials and, but narrative has always kind of been my thing. And so I felt like even once I stepped out of um, the school system, people who were working on short films kind of knew me as the narrative person. So that kind of kept coming my way. And then after that, it kind of like stopped becoming my choice and it kind of just snowballed and got to where it is and we just continue to go. That's awesome. I, I noticed that just from the way that you present yourself is very narrative driven and it, mm-hmm. it speaks. Your work is really beautiful. It really is. Thank you, man. Thank um, you. It means a lot. Of course. Um, so was there, like maybe it was in school or maybe it was during when you were with your band, but was there a specific moment when you realized like, Oh, being a DP or being a cinematographer, like this could be what I want to do. Like this could be my passion. Was there like a specific Mm. moment where that was like, where that changed for you? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I, I feel like like a lot of people when I first started with film, um, you know, everyone's like, yeah, I'll be a writer director. And I actually started off as a writer director. I I used to like, (laughs) I remember one of my first music videos, I, I hired my dear friend, um, Kelsey, who's now a producer and director of her own, uh, to DP for me. And I directed this music video and I felt like everyone kind of starts off and they're like, yeah, I do this kind of, I want to do this thing. But I remember it was, I'll give you two moments. There was a moment where I mentally kind of registered it and the moment I kind of physically registered it. I think mentally was... Um, I remember when I was first getting into film and studying film and understanding who's who and what's what I watched this, um, really powerful film that I just like, it shook me to my core. I thought it was so cinematic and so subtle, but it was powerful and there was weight to it. And I felt this like heaviness from it. And, and that movie was prisoners, which was then shot by, you know, shot by Roger Deakins. And I remember watching the film and then seeing the, um, the credits roll up and it says cinematographer Roger Deakins. And at that moment, again, like I didn't know too much about film. I was like, who's this guy? Like I, whatever, whatever he did, I want to do that, you know? And, um, it was very similar with the movie called, and I remember watching that and just feeling so mesmerized and hypnotized by like how powerful the, obviously the themes and the storytelling was, but that cinematography felt, felt like something that I can connect to. And every once in a while, I feel like there's a movie or movies that come out that, we watch and you almost like tell your brain, like I made this movie. Like it's my, like, like it's me, like that's me <laughs> on screen. That's my, and, and black Swan was one of them. So I, 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 I called black Swan and prisoners, these two films that once I saw like cinematographer, Roger Deakin, cinematographer, Maddie Levitique, I thought like, yeah, I, I want to be like those guys. That's who I want to be. And then as far as a physical moment, you know, I, I just, I would say there's been a few, maybe it started in school or maybe it started in, and whatever, but I, 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 I can't tell you when, but I remember being on a set once. I was young. Maybe it was my friend's short film he was doing and, and just running into a moment where there was like a he was directing, he asked me to shoot it. I didn't fully comprehend like that I was a DP edge, call myself a filmmaker. And there's a moment on set where I had the camera on a dolly shooting down a hallway and I had this wide angle lens and I like randomly put some LED in the background just to like cast light. Like, I wasn't even thinking, I just did it. And we pushed the camera down the hallway, following someone. And I just remember like getting chills being like, Ooh, I made this shot. Like I just made this. And then I I feel like that might've been one of the few moments that I was like, okay, like I'm kind of doing it. And I think this is it, you know? Wow. That's beautiful. I, I don't, I'm sure you have those moments today. I find that I still have those moments doing what we're doing. Like I'll, I'll have a shot lined up and I'm like, wow, this is like, I can't believe we're, doing this right now like i'm mm-hmm. literally living my dream at this moment right mm-hmm. now it's it's mm-hmm. beautiful um, yeah, and I, yeah. I i i have those pretty often even if it's not the most amazing thing i'm just i find that i'm just more and more grateful for doing mm-hmm. like what we're doing because it's such a difficult path that we're taking yeah, yeah. um yeah and, and the gratefulness is something that you gotta almost have to remind yourself of because it's easy to go through things and kind of um 
I, I won't say forget, but not think of it, you know, like, cause you're, cause there's so many other things to think of. There's so many other things on set that you're thinking about, you know, how are you going to make the day? You're thinking about, can we get five shots in an hour? Can we, you know, how can I achieve this thing without that? Is this crew dynamic working? Is the client happy? Is my director um, struggling with something? How can I help them? There's so many things to think of. And oftentimes those things can end up in, uh, I'll say, quote unquote, like a negative kind of feeling. Like you leave a set and you feel just kind of spent from like, from just from the energy. And it's so easy to forget the gratefulness and so easy to kind of like not remind ourselves. And I feel like that's something you have to constantly kind of check yourself with because I don't know, like it, what we do is hard. But there's also like, you know, you know, what else is hard, like being a nurse, being a mother, being a doctor, a soldier, like so many things are hard. And I, and I really appreciate that you have to kind of like take a step back and be like, no, I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm here because it's, it's such an incredible job. And I feel like having that presence is something that present mindedness, not just in where you are physically with work, but where you are in life and the point of your career is such an important thing to like hold on to. Absolutely. I think the way that I feel about gratefulness is I think it's like the root. I think it's just the root of for everything. And if you're grateful in your present moment where you are on set, you you communicate better with your crew. You communicate mm -hmm. better with the director, producers, because you have this humble being about yourself and you, mm -hmm. you just you understand everybody a little bit better. And I always consciously try to be grateful because I know that everyone else is working so hard to accomplish this mission that we're all trying to do. So mm -hmm. it's, I'm always, I'm always working on consciously saying to myself, like, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm here right now. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Going back a little bit to school, when you graduated, did you become a full-time freelancer or did you get a job somewhere? What was that path like after school for you? After school, I went full-time freelance yeah i went full-time freelance i had a job during school i was working doing like media management uh not, not not like a film media management job i was just like doing media management for like a school like uploading files and helping them maintain their website and that was something i did part-time during school just kind of like make money um but once i graduated the interesting thing is i went right into um grad school like i, I didn't have a break here so i went right to grad school so i kind of like I was kind of like a student for a long time, but I'd always been freelancing during that. And then once that time was completed, I was already just freelancing. And so I never sort of thinking back, I never had, and I feel thankful for this and, and maybe some ways uh, curious if I would have been any different, if things went a different way, but I never had like a, a regular job. job. Yeah. I sort of always just been able to work at what I'm doing and I'm thankful for that. That's because amazing. Yeah, I was able to just kind of jump right in. And, you know, sometimes I think back and I'm like, oh, maybe I would have benefited from certain other things. I crewed a little bit, like I AC'd for a little and I gaffed for friends once or twice. And they, they were never quite my thing. I, I was a better AC than I was a gaffer. But in the meantime, I had always been shooting, whether it was a music video or, like I said, I would write and direct my own shorts and kind of make those happen. Um, and so I feel lucky that I was always able to kind of go straight into freelancing. And then it's become now full-time job which Absolutely. is wonderful to give you a little like opposite perspective i went to mm -hmm. school for about a year and a half for music i went for audio engineering music mm -hmm. production and i dropped out mid sophomore year mm -hmm. from there i worked as a pizza delivery boy and a full-time mm -hmm. landscaper so mm -hmm. i worked that for about two years and while simultaneously trying to grow in film so i have the perspective of working like this brutal laborish job and yeah, you know, just yeah. being a pizza delivery boy. And I think that definitely helped shape me, like mm. feel grateful about what I'm doing to never want to go back to that place that I was working there. And I think yeah. that's why I work so hard at what I'm doing is because I, I, I don't want to go back there. Like this is what I want to do. And that's, I mean, that's just my perspective on it. I had that job mm -hmm. coming out of school. Right. Right. And so how did you find that, you know, uh, so you start pizza delivery, you started music, which music and film has a closer connection. And then you kind of went to delivery and landscaping and, and, and how did you 
make that switch. So I can give you like a quick summary of my story. So I went to Mm -hmm. school for music. I was a DJ. Uh, I was DJing nightclubs or teen nights when I was Mm -hmm. a teenager. Um, And at the time, graduating high school, going to college, I started a clothing company. And Mm -hmm. during this time, I couldn't afford a photographer, couldn't afford a videographer, a graphic design, Mm -hmm. just like you. I was Mm -hmm. doing everything myself. I had this little camera. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, like that passion for the camera started to creep up little by little. And music started to go down, down, down a little bit. And Mm -hmm. the clothing company had to end due to some legal things. But that's that's a whole nother topic. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, after that, I left school. And at this time, I was only doing photo. I really didn't know much about video at all became a pizza delivery boy landscaper and i got connected with my cousin's friends who owned an aerial production company and i interned for them for about three months learning how to fly drone i got my license doing and then i did real estate photos real estate video um Mm -hmm. they pretty much taught me the basics about video and how to really work a camera and after working with them for a while i started my own little production company doing small business stuff um at this time, I'm still landscaping because it wasn't it wasn't paying the bills quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly started working a little bit more. And then I just made that jump and I was like, I'm just going to commit. And I think that wow. was about three years ago. I fully committed nice. to doing freelance. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, and you just shot your first feature. That's I awesome. did. <laughs> yeah. That was That's a awesome. crazy experience, man. Shooting a feature. I can imagine. Especially not going into it with any pre-production like mm-hmm. coming in four days after they started filming, it was a, it was a tough thing to hop into, but um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super just grateful for that whole experience. It, of course, it of changed course. my, it changed my life big time. Yeah, man. Yeah. Especially working with someone as sweet and thoughtful as Danny. Like it's, it was great. Danny Graverts we're talking about. It's a great thing. You jumped into that and I'm, I'm happy for you because it, it's nice to see that again, starting from the one thing and then, this thing because this opportunity sort of presents itself and you were you were in the right place and you were ready to jump in and that's huge you know and it, it made it made me feel so good because he was the one that really showed me what a dp was he was my mentor when i first started mm-hmm. and i was his first kind of apprentice and mm-hmm. he i didn't know what a dp was i was just a videographer shooting pizza parlors and everything mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. but he taught me about life. He taught me about how to communicate with people. He taught me about lighting, everything. He, he yeah. was like an older brother to me. And, you know, there were parts where in the beginning, when he started this feature, I, I've said it in a video before that I was a little mm-hmm. upset that I didn't get chosen. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I'm not going to get into that, but he didn't know who I mm-hmm. really was because he left to go to Hawaii. So he didn't see who I was or who I became, but for him to, think of me as the next best, best option and then prove to him that I was able to do this was seriously such an amazing feeling for me to be able to do that for him. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. I'm happy you got that. And I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see when it's all coming together. And once you're ready to show it, it's, it's so funny. Cause what is it like? Cause I, I just wrapped up a feature recently and um, to this year and it's <laughs> features are like, they're 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 so like just brutal and there's a lot to get through and you have long days and crazy quick decisions to make and things change all the time and you're just kind of working through them so just like finishing production on one is like a feat of its own and then there's like oh right there's like finishing it in post and then there's like getting it out there and there's so many like like uh i, I don't know like, i feel there's so many mountains you climb and dragons you slay making a feature and then once you get to the end of it, you're like battered and bruised, but you're like, I have this thing and I made it. And it's, it's no longer mine. It belongs to the world. And I feel like that's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful feeling. And I'm excited for you to get, like, find that out. Cause it's, um, Thank you. Cause you go through all that and you're like, Oh, I don't know if I could do it again. And then some time passes and you make it, you're like, I can definitely do this again. And then you just keep yeah. going. Yeah. So speaking upon that, I noticed yeah. that after the feature, like there's, there's this family aspect that you leave mm-hmm. with at the end of it. And there mm-hmm. was a part of me at the end, like a week goes by, I'm like, I'm a little anxious. Like I, I am I going to get something better? Or am I going to get something just as good as this again? Or am I going to, mm-hmm. am I going to get booked again or something that could be for any job? Really? I, I find mm-hmm. that sometimes I get anxious mm-hmm. about what's next. Do you, mm-hmm. do you have similar thoughts about like anxiety and what, 
what's to come after a certain project. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's definitely the feeling of like, you always want to do bigger and better and grow. And I'm, I'm really big on the ideas of growth and presence and vision. And those are, those are probably three words that I try to really hone in on in both my career, but just my general life. And, um, I find that when you finish a project, you kind of just want the next thing and you want, you're ready for it. And you're also eager because, you know, some projects, uh, come out very quickly, like commercial short form music videos, like they, you make them and they kind of have to be released very soon. And other projects kind of take a long, long time. And, and so what, what you find the find ends up happening is you make something and then with you, with, with the time of it, the pressure and the anxiety comes in because you're like, Oh man, like, am I not growing or have I grown past this already? Where, what's the next thing? And, and I feel that super often i feel that all of the time but uh i mean i even just I, I just came back from dallas for this like commercial thing and you know i've been home for maybe two days and i'm already just kind of like oh gosh what's next like you know what i mean like you just feel this thing and um but i i, I find that like that's a great uh, that's a great moment in time to kind of like just slow down do other things you know find inspiration elsewhere um because i don't know it's we all, I think a lot of us feel that not everyone talks about it. So it definitely is a shared experience that people feel very singular and alone in. Um, and I feel that's the same for a lot of things like, you know, the, the common imposter syndrome or, or the feeling of, um, you know, self doubt and this and that, like we all kind of, it's a shared thing that we all go through very privately. Um, that's why I talk about it a lot. Honestly, it's something I bring up in a lot of podcasts because I want people to know that it's not just them and not just Mm -hmm. me that I'm thinking about it. I know that it's a shared thing. So it's, it's a really important topic for me to talk about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No. And I think it's a good thing to talk about because I don't know, it just sort of, I feel like people kind of what we said before, there's this, um, there's just, I don't see people being unmindful, but there's just mindfulness that requires us to like really think about where we are and who we are. And that gets lost sometimes to like everything else. And I feel like sometimes just like gentle reminders every once in a while are a really, I I, I think they're a really subtly powerful thing. And I find myself always reminding people, um, even just personal people in my life, just little things, you know, like thinking of you, you're strong. Um, you know, remember that this and that I have this little quote, sometimes I send around to people who I know are kind of dealing with difficult things. And, and I find that like, just these little things end up doing a lot. And if we do it for others, why don't we do it for ourselves? You know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the big question sometimes. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I guess going a little bit more into the cinematography aspect, I'm Mm -hmm. curious to know like what hurdles you kind of had to overcome in the beginning. And for instance, me, when I started really diving into cinematography, lighting was the mm-hmm. hardest, single hardest thing for me to comprehend. Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand any, I, I don't know if it was because I was trying to force it or trying to think about how many lights instead of just like understanding the fundamentals of like, if I have one light, wh- how many different things can I do with one light? What is the actual motivation for this one light? Like, I think I was mm. so focused on so many different things that I didn't really want to focus on just the fundamentals of lighting. Mm-hmm. What, was, what were some of the hurdles for you starting out that you had to overcome? Hmm. Yeah, good question. I, I feel like maybe some of my first hurdles, let me think about this. Because lighting, lighting was definitely a bit of a thing I had to wrap my head around in the beginning. And I felt like what kind of helped me early on was um, instead of thinking of light as like a thing that I have to create, which, which it is, it totally is. I also viewed it as a thing I had to experience. And I think that came from just like, maybe whether it was doing light studies or focusing on things or being in a room and kind of just like watching the light move across the room or or, you know, I do a lot of this where you walk around with your fist like a face and you see how the light <laughs> plays on. Yeah, I just do that a lot. I'm just like, okay, you just kind of take it in. And so I think once I started thinking about life, light as an experiential thing, I feel like I was then bogged a, down a little less with the technical aspects of light. And I was like, okay, let's just treat this as, as an experience. And early in those early, early music videos, a lot of like one light kind of to drool them all and figure that out. So that's that's where that came from or that's what that's what i do with that but as far as other hurdles i think i struggled a lot with um okay give me a second i i struggled a lot with i know it's a hard question 
Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question. I, I struggled a lot. It's one of the hurdles I definitely had to jump was this like feeling of the visual, not, not geography, but, but the visual like storytelling. And that's what we do, but meaning more so like knowing what was right. And then, because one thing I always struggled with was this idea of like cinematographer's remorse. And I asked this to a lot of DPs to look up to of like, you're, you're in, you're in a, you're in a situation and you know, the, the light's running out. You got so many things to get. Things are kind of just all over the place. You got to make quick decisions. How do you know if you're making the right decision? Cause you know, I don't fully subscribe to this thought, but I think David Fincher, who was one of my favorite directors, um, has this sort of uh, belief or phrase. He says that there's two ways to shoot a scene, the right way and the wrong way. And, um, I don't fully subscribe to that. I think there's a lot of different avenues one can take. But that being said, I'm always thinking like, how do I know I'm making the right decision? Like how, and, and I feel like I almost tied that to the idea of like cinematographer's remorse. Like how, how do I make sure I shoot something and finish the day and not look back and be like, I wish I got something else. Or I wish I did that differently. And I feel like you always get a little bit of that. And that comes with growth. Like you'd be able to look back at your old stuff and be like, Oh, I would have done this a little bit differently, but that was then. And I feel like early on, I always kind of like, I would frame up a shot and I just remember sometimes I'd be like, is this the right framing? And I, I think that's an insecurity thing. I think it's a thing of like mm. needing to study more or be in the moment more, or even just like feel what, what is right more. And I feel like to know what is right, you have to almost think of it as an internal thing. You have to think like, this is the right thing. And that comes from a lot of, um, I don't know, spending a lot of time focusing and thinking and studying and just being in that, I don't know, that bubble, which is like the story or the bubble, which is your creativity, your artist voice, which is an ever changing thing. Our voice changes so often, you know, and it's like you, it's being within there that you find that security and that confidence and this and that. And then also, I think as you progress in your career, you just think of the way you're like, yeah, I'm going to buy that. Like I'm, I'm whatever I framed up, I buy that and that's it. And you can't look at it as like, like what's done is done. You have to kind of approach it with this sense of inner confidence of like, if I framed it and it felt right, then it probably is right. Mm-hmm. You know, it was right to me. And what was right in that moment may not be right three months later, but it's all about being in the moment of who you are in that moment. You know? Oh, that's awesome. I, I appreciate you saying that. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking upon studying a little bit, um, I don't know if yeah. you can see, I have like every edition of American mm-hmm. Cinematographer for the past couple mm-hmm. of years. What are some ways that you kind of study? Mm. I think I like to, there's so many different ways. I think the first and foremost, I just sort of watch and I try to watch as a consumer first. Cause I feel like what we do as cinematographers, I, I always called it. And I even told my students the same thing. I always called it uh, the job of a DP is translate and manipulate, right? We are translating the written text and we are manipulating the audience. And we do that with our right-hand person, the director. And so I find that my very first form of studying is to view as a consumer. Um, and because I, I do, because we do what we do, I'm always going to sort of watch it with the cinematographer's eye. Like I'm always going to appreciate the framing or the focus or the, the way the light hit in a certain moment or the color. And I'll always appreciate those things, but I just try to watch things for like what they are and how the filmmakers intended me to view them. And I find that subconsciously things are brewing and that's when I know something's working on a level far more than, you know, um, most people can, most, most people would care to understand. And once I get that and then I'm like, okay, let's really think about this. And then I either go back and watch the way they sort of blocked out a scene and the way the camera cuts and, what angles they choose to shoot or, you know, the way they chose to light something. And then I feel like with that comes like the, the, the usual American cinematographer magazine, um, different, the, the, the cine lens manual, um, just r- sitting online and reading things and watching videos. I find myself, you know, I always tell people, especially my students that like cinematography, it wasn't a thing that once like class was over, once the job was done, you're like, all right, well, that's it until later. It's like, no, if you want to do this, it's an everyday thing. And I find that 
if I'm not always watching something or listening to something, I'm reading something, just always kind of taking it in. And that's definitely changed a little bit recently because I'm allowing myself to have other interests and passions and absolutely and hobbies. But I feel like there's just a general, always a consumption of things. And I feel like you have to be an active consumer. You have to actively think about it. Um, and so that's where most of my studying will come from. But even, even like, you know, last night I was watching uh, an episode from the new season of Master of None. Okay. And, you know, I was a big fan of seasons one and two. It's like a, it's like a comedy, but it always had this like indie kind of, um, you know, French new wave kind of flair, especially with season two. And I'm watching season three and it's all four by three, 16 millimeter. Each scene is more or less composed in a single shot wide. And it's choosing to stay back and watch something. And it's following two different characters in the other season did. I remember like the, the, the thoughtful slowness of it, the way it was slowly burning allowed me to sit there with the shot for much longer. And I'm, I'm, I'm retaining what they're saying. I'm seeing this, but I'm thinking a lot more because mm. it's letting me sit there for a second. Mm. And that was something that I was subconsciously, but also actively kind of thinking about. So I felt like even though I was watching it because I want to watch the story and see what happens and finish the season, I was also studying it and thinking about it. And I kind of like, you know, went to bed thinking about it. It's like in my mind, I've been thinking about it. And now I think about like whatever my next thing coming up is. I'm just like applying things I've sort of been watching and, and thinking about to that. And so I find that it kind of happens without me even trying or without me giving my brain permission to do it. It's kind of just like the life we live, you know? Mm, awesome. Oh, that's really, mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, you said something about your voice changes. And I notice mm -hmm. I notice that a lot, especially within myself, that as I get older, I experience a lot more in my life that my work is influenced by how I've grown. And mm -hmm. one thing I've noticed in particular that I've gotten a lot better at is just being a good leader, essentially, and growing mm -hmm. as a leader. I think that's something mm -hmm. that you are, you could be, you're born with, you have this natural, like this innate ability to lead, but it takes a lot of work mm -hmm. to get to be a good leader. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on leadership and how important that is to be a good DP because it's not yeah. just lighting and camera. It's you have no. to lead essentially. Mm -hmm. I find that, you know, a lot of the time, the lighting and the creative part, it, you know, the creativity is everywhere in what we do. But a lot of the time, a big majority of what we do is, is leading and managing, and um, you know, the politics on set, like, you know, once there's EPs and producers and line producers and UPMs and this and that, and someone got to get this, someone got to get that, there's like a lot of, you know, maneuvering and managing that goes on. And I feel like that's a huge part of what we do. And I feel like, you know, someone can be an, let's say like, like an, an up and coming DP, like a, like a, a solid, okay DP. But if they're a great leader, they're going to make an experience and they're going to make a product that feels strong. You know, because there's really talented people who don't know how to communicate or don't know how to lead or don't know how to um, work within a team setting. And, you know, that's fine because there's always going to be people who are more of like the solo kind of person who are doing more running gun doc style stuff. Or there's people who have only ever came up in, you know, working with like a four to four person team because they always came up in the union and crewed and worked their way up. And there's so many like different avenues to go about it, but I find that within all of them, the sign of a truly great artist and DP really is your artistry and how your artistry um, goes forward with your leadership. And I, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer yeah. in that. And that's something I always try to think about. And I, I strive to always communicate as clearly and concisely and be a positive force for the team because, you know, what we do is we always want to make a good product, right? You always want the thing to be good, but no matter what the destination is, the journey is often what we remember the most. And I find that if we allow sort of, you know, things to not allow the journey to be as fruitful or as beautiful or as positive as it can be, then we kind of sour the whole thing, even the, even the end result. And I feel like good leadership leads with love and positivity yes. and thoughtfulness. Yes. You know, absolutely. And I think gratefulness as well. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I feel that I've, um, I'm, I'm always looking to make sure that I'm also serving my crew as well. 
because they're mm-hmm. there to serve us or the, the vision mm-hmm. of the story, the lighting, help with the lens change, all the different things that they do to help us. I want to yeah. also make sure that they know that I'm also there for them, that I have their backs as well, and that I'm creating a mm-hmm. work environment that is comfortable for everyone for and for everyone to feel that they could speak and have a voice as well. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that my work has gotten a lot better as I've grown as a leader. I have allowed other people to have creative thoughts and have creative mm-hmm. visions and bring them and not be afraid to bring them to me essentially because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. have amazing ideas and once you let them speak it, it might be the thing that you've been searching for yeah yeah i find that like a a village a, a tribe a group of people a city uh whatever a community thrives on everyone participating and being active and you know when, when there's one person who's sort of um, dead weight for whatever, for lack of a better term, or one person who's kind of like not as active as another, you feel the slog mm-hmm. of that. You feel like the, like, oh, you're dragging. But when people step up and you allow them to step up and speak, then I feel like everything just kind of gets up and moves and at a quicker pace and at a more creative pace and things feel alive and much better. And I remember there was this one... Um, it was like a comic strip kind of thing. It was like a, a, a cartoon and it was um, what people think being a leader is. And it was a group of people, like a mass horde of people holding up like a chair and a platform that someone sat in and they're like, let's go this way, you know? And then it was like, what a leader actually is. And it was that same person, but this time he was in the front of the pack saying, let's go this way. And I remember thinking like, yeah, like that's someone who's with the group, mm-hmm. not someone who's like above the group. I thought that was really, I don't know, it's such a simple little thing, but I think about that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because leadership is something mm-hmm. that I don't think a lot of people think about when they want to be a DP. It's just, I like the camera, I like lighting, but there's so many different aspects to being a DP, like mm-hmm. a real DP that I find to be super important to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a, um, a live concert uh, documentary film thing for the killers at Madison Square Garden, which is such an incredible the, I experience. Saw post some of those things. It was sweet. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was it was super sweet. And there's an incredible team on that. And you know, just the nature of that project and the way the the MSG's lighting team and the killers lighting team kind of had things going. And we were just rushing. And we and Bruce Springsteen was the special encore guest. We had to. It was just like a lot going on. That one became a lot less about sort of like finding the look for it. Um, because, you know, the director, I don't think, was even particularly looking for anything more than a docu-style kind of thing. And it was so much more about managing a team, picking our angles, making sure things are happening at the right time, relaying information to my team to make sure they're accomplishing what the director's envisioning. And so it's funny because I'll come off of a short film or a feature or whatever that's so much about, like, the craft and the precision and, and like, no, I, I need I need a quarter stop less of light here and this and that and and trying to mold this kind of thing and you know and that's also about leadership. But this other one was like my job was almost entire. I wasn't operating. I was just at the monitors with my comms, just kind of relaying information and relaying what I wanted my team to do, my operators to do, and and that was kind of like uh, a reminder of like oh yeah, there are some jobs in which I am creating like this visual kind of thing. And there's other jobs where I am a manager and I'm trying to get, get the ship to coast, you know? And, um, yeah, that always reminds me because it was an incredible thing and the stills look great and it was fun, but it was like, there's a lot that wasn't up to me. Like the killers have their lighting set up and I, I'm not going to change that. So I could, I, I didn't even let myself think about it. I was just like, no, I'm here to capture. And, um, yeah, so it was exactly kind of what we're talking about. That's awesome. So, I want to I want to move on to something that I'm really interested about is the agency mm-hmm. aspect and getting repped. Mm-hmm. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that process? Because I don't really I hear some people say, "Oh, go search for a rep," or some people like just wait for people to come to you. What is what was your experience mm-hmm. like? Yeah, so it's um there's there's a lot of different ways, and I feel like there's a lot of um uh I I don't know what the word would be, but there's a lot of like pre pre-established kind of lore that like you you know don't reach out to an agent they call you when you're ready and i think that's a yeah, I, I think that's kind of a fallacy i don't fully believe um i think there is room for people to reach out because here's the thing there are so many dps 
There are yeah. so many talented DPs and you know, there's only so many agents. So I feel like it's a part of like, it's like what we do every day with, we share our work and we network and can reach out to people. It's, there's no different than when it comes to an agent. There's just a different kind of um, relationship, whether it's filmmaker to filmmaker, it's one thing filmmaker to agent. It's like, okay, this kind of changed a little bit. Um, as for me, man, I, you know, I thought about it a lot for a long time. Like I, there's two years, I'll say about two years where I just thought about we being represented for a long time. And to the point where it was almost like, make me feel awful about myself. Like I, I was like, you know, what? I had friends who were getting signed who were about my age and, and they so deserved it and they were getting wrapped and I was so happy for them. But then the feeling sets in where I was like, Oh, am I not? good enough to be signed like or am i not ready but they're ready and, and it's just a silly thing to compare yourself to others because everyone's on a, such a different track but i thought about it for a long time and to the point where like you know i started feeling bad about it and i had this one friend and his name is daniele and i love him to death I, I would tell him and he would just be like i remember after two years he was like listen man like it's, it's bound to happen soon just stop talking about it like i think he was getting frustrated and i was like yeah i needed someone kind of tell me that and you know, I, I had early kind of things where I reached out to an agent or two and I got emails back, but it didn't really work out. And it, it was kind of like a whatever thing. And I remember at, at the end of 2021, I think it was me and some dear friends of mine were in a group chat and we kind of talked about our goals for 2022. And I think I decided right then and there, we all wrote out little goals and texted it to each other, mm -hmm. kind of just like see where we're going to be at. And one of the goals I wrote down was, um, have an in-person meeting with an agent in 2022. That's, awesome. That's all I said. And then I, I did not, I told myself to not think about it or talk about it since then. And, you know, I think naturally comes up a conversation. People ask, are you rather not? So, and, but I, I told myself like, I'm not, I'm just going to focus on the work. I'm just going to focus on producing good work and healthy and thoughtful collaborations and growing as an artist. And, Whenever it happens, it'll happen. So fast forward this year, I worked on a number of narrative films and features and bigger projects that were sort of elevating my career to a point. And um, I had filled in for um, one of my sort of big bro types. One of my mentors name is Eric Bronco. He's a fantastic DP. He shot films like Clemency, the 40 year old wow. uh, version, not virgin version. Um, on Netflix, he did uh, Let the Right One In for Showtime, that Dan Michael Che. Anyway, he's always been like a big bro type to me, and he asked me to fill in for him on a um, a feature he was shooting because he had to leave early, something something you would schedule, whatever it was. And he asked me to come fill in for the last couple of days, and I said, yeah, I'll be there. And I hadn't realized that this film is called Story Ave. was being executive produced by Jimmy Fox, had wow. named talent in it. Um and it what was uh, it was a yeah it was based off a short film that came off of the Sundance Lab and so people have been tracking this project so anyway I I watched all the dailies I studied everything I could I talked with Eric so I can do the best job possible and you know I I didn't know what the, what the film was I kind of just like wanted to focus on doing a good job for him because you know when he calls I'm I'm going to show up he's always been like the big bro for me and so got to set and it was, it was a crazy couple of days. It was like the last couple of days and we're just like finishing things up. And I was doing led wall subway sets. I was doing pyros, um, stunts with people falling off of roof and, and this and that and shooting all these name actors and so many pages with so little time. And, and we got it done and it, ran, it went really well. And I think that kind of caught wind a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I posted an image of, the slate with my name on it and the director's name. And I was like, Hey, thanks everyone for having me so much. And then I started, I got reached out to who is now my agent. And she was like, um, her name was Alexa at APA. And she was like, Hey, this is awesome. Like, good to see you working on this project. Are you around? We want to meet with you tonight at this party wow. we're having. And then I, I went and then people were like, Hey, so we, we know about this project. We've been tracking it, but who are you? Why is your name on the slate? And I was like, Oh, uh, well, let me tell you about who I am and how I got on this project. And then, that sort of led to other meetings. I met with a couple other agents when I was out in LA and, and ultimately I went with APA cause they felt the most exciting to me and I felt the great relationship, but it came from like, you know, 
it, it was funny because I decided, I'm like, I'm not going to think about this agency stuff anymore, man, because it's killing me. Like, it's really driving me kind of into this insecurity hole. And I just didn't want to be there anymore. And it was only when I focused on the work and focused on doing a good job and being there that then the agent came to me and found me and everything kind of unfolded that way. So that was, that was my story. There's a lot of other weird kind of stories of how people kind of get in. Like I had friends who didn't get it until their first movie went to Sundance and other people who got it right after school. And you know, mine was just sort of a, um, a unique kind of way how it happened. That's beautiful. That's such a crazy little thing that happened that you got brought onto this. And then the eight in the, can you come to a meeting tonight to a party? That is, yeah, that's crazy. I I love that story. What do you, what do you think the benefit of an agent is like, how do you, how do you, have you seen the benefit maybe? Yeah. Well, you know, now I think of it as like, whereas before I was a one person team. Now I am a three to four person team. Like, um, I think the biggest, you know, the number one thing that an agent does is they sort of handle your booking. So they will focus on <clears throat> your calendar, uh, negotiating and breaking your deals for you. Um, they focus on sort of your growth and, and, and helping you. They manage kind of that side of stuff for you, which is great because now, you know, XYZ hits me up for a, um, a project, commercial feature, whatever. Um, ever since said, I would usually negotiate and talk about money prior. Now I'm just like, Hey, my agent kind of handles that stuff. And once that kind of stuff is broken, I don't, I don't, I don't negotiate any terms. I don't figure out anything with that. They'll relay with me if I'm feeling good about things, but mm-hmm. I, I don't get into the money side at all, the business side. And I can just focus on creative and that's huge. Like that's awesome. the fact that I, I don't have to go into something with this feeling of like, Hey, can I get this much? It's like, no, we can do that much. And now that thing might kind of like just be on my head throughout the rest mm. of the shoot. I don't mm. even, I don't even think about it. It's not even part of my, my radar anymore. And, um, that's huge. And I think another thing too, man, is just, you have a team of people who are in your corner and, you know, let's say a feature script comes by and there's a lot of solid reasons why I should do it, but equally solid reasons why maybe I shouldn't do it. Whereas before I would kind of ricochet off of, friends or family which are still such valuable insights and people that i look to like my community who i deeply trust and care about um i now also have someone on my camp to who will read the script and be like you know i think you should do this because of this reason or they might be like hey maybe let's say no to this because something else is kind of brewing in the background Mm -hmm. we should try to focus our energy on that and just the fact that there's people on the team who are tracking projects television feature and commercial all year round and you know, they represent me worldwide. So they have this over, they have this worldwide reach into international projects and markets too. It's huge. And really more than anything is just to know that like, there are people who are supporting me and they, they, they understand my vision for my career and they see that and they know what I want to accomplish and they're doing what they can to help me achieve, um, you know, like set out goals and, and uh, make actionable moves to reach certain places mm-hmm. that I want to be. And that's huge. And that's so huge. And the fact that like, it's an investment in me and, and they're putting their time and energy into me and it's great and it's fantastic. And, and I love the team that I have. They're really, really wonderful. It's still early days. You yeah. know, like one thing I, someone told me is that your first year of getting signed can often be your slowest because you're transitioning out of something into something new. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a lot of growing pains and I'm definitely, I say I'm feeling some of that growing pains. I'm definitely feeling it a little bit, but it's, um, it's exciting because now the network and the reach has widened dramatically and definitely, but to get the core, it's still just me being the creative. I am. I just don't have to like make invoices anymore or like <laughs> double check my calendar. <laughs> like it's all kind of, yeah. it's all kind of done and it's fantastic. I feel, it feels freeing in a way, you know, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. two more questions for you before we go. The first yeah, one is you probably, we talked about it a little bit, but what do you love about being a DP? Mm-hmm. I think I love executing a vision and making something that people will watch and feel something from. Um, and I feel like that's a very vague woo woo kind of way to word it all. But I don't know, man, because like I, I watch something, I'm, I'm a very emotional guy and I'll watch something 
And when it hits, it hits. And when I cry, I cry. When I laugh, I laugh. And I feel it with like all of me. And I, I, I get excited. I get energized by the fact that someone else will watch and hopefully feel similar things, you know? And at the end of the day, you know, we are hired to do something and accomplish a project and done and get paid and stuff like that. But I just get really excited about like the fact that someone can watch something and feel something. And the biggest compliment I get is when people tell me like, I watched this short film you worked on and I cried or this thing made me feel not so alone or, or, mm. or people tell me like your work is evocative or your work is intimate and it made me feel something. And to me that that's like all I could ever hope for. Like just to yeah. my images make people feel something that really excites me. And then on the other end, I get really excited by working with talented and thoughtful people. And you're really excited seeing like my film family and, and being with them on set and working on things and seeing things come together. Like I think I, I, I love, a lot of it. There's stuff I don't love. There's the being away from home and friends and family. That's brutal. There's like, um, you know, 16 hour days. I don't love <laughs> those are really brutal. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I don't love a lot of the weird backroom politics that happens sometimes on certain projects and bigger movies because of who's attached or who's doing what or where it has to go. Like there's a lot of things I don't like about it. But the day to day, I find always to be like a very beautiful experience, and Amazing. and more than anything, like again, if I can make an image, even just a still frame that someone sees and they feel something from it, anything, as long as it, it like it stirs an emotion within them, it's an evocative image. Then I feel like I accomplish everything I set out to do. Mm, beautiful. My last question mm -hmm. is. If you were sitting across from yourself, your younger self, maybe your 10-year-old self, or just a younger version of you, what would you tell that person? What would you tell your younger self mm, about mm. life, about where you are today? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I for a long time, my answer to this question would have been uh, just three words, do more earlier. Mm. I think, like, I would have told myself that. But then... I don't know. I, um, that, that's like my, my go get them business hustle side Absolutely. of my brain saying like, do more earlier. Right. Absolutely. Like, no, like, like cause I started pretty young and you know, I, I, I'm 27 now, which people still consider to be young for a DP, but I think that side of my brain would say like, do more earlier. Mm -hmm. And the other side of my brain and something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the presence thing and this mental clarity. Cause all we have is our mental clarity, you know? protecting that i i've been really inspired by the phrase um wherever you are be there and i think that both means a physical place like if i'm with if i'm at a dinner table with friends and family wherever you are be there be there at dinner be absolutely there. but i think it, but i think it also means like career like you know if i'm if i'm in a place where i'm not quite um where i want to be or i'm hoping that i land a feature that's X amount of budget because I've only ever done this amount of budget and, and I haven't quite gotten it. I'm getting frustrated. It's like, no, wherever you are, be there. Like if I am in the, um, you know, one to $2 million feature budget range and I want to hit a, you know, eight or nine so bad, but I can't quite get it. It's like, well, wherever you are, be there. Like just, just be there, be present, be where you are because when the, when the thing comes, you want to be ready to embrace it and jump into it and, and dive, you know, dive into the water instead of like kind of being focused on what could have been, what should have been or what would have been that then something goes right by me. And I totally missed it mm. because I was looking over here, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And so I, I, I kind of want to tell both of these to myself. I want to say do more earlier, but just wherever you are, be there because I feel like they're both, they're both trying to get to the same goal, which is like make films, mm. you know, they're all trying to get to the same thing. One of them is just a lot kinder to the yeah. other. That's, really. it's, it's kind of like something I say to myself all the time is be patiently impatient about mm. it. Is, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I just, that's something I tell myself is like, keep working, keep working hard, but at the same time, yeah. just be present where you are today and it'll yeah. come, it'll come with time. It'll come with hard work. And patience is huge, man, because you know, like, I often just look, sometimes I, I give myself little reminders. I, I, I'm, I'm this weird type where like I'm on IMDb just all the time. I'll just look up a movie and I scroll down and see who shot it. 
and then I'll click on another movie of theirs, and I'll be like, oh, who was the production designer? I click on that, and then who produced that Straight one? Down a rabbit I, hole. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I go down this rabbit hole, but I, if anything, I, I almost call that study because I just want to know, like, I want to know more about the business and who's who and who's doing what and and this and that. But um, all that to say, I look at all these incredibly talented, inspiring artists who are, you know, making waves and and making films that are going to last generations and the people who I want to be where they're at. And then what I often, what I so often miss is just like the birthday, you know, mm. Oh, they were born in the sixties or the seventies or the eighties. And I'm like, Oh, right. Like there's time. Like these are these, these folks that I admire and look up to tremendously. A lot of DPs don't quite make it to whatever that means, make it or hit big until they're in like their, 40s or 50s you know sometimes older i have to remind myself that a lot too is that i'm young i'm only 24 i'm literally a baby yeah 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 yeah. and and it's like you gotta think about the patience and and, you know i think with that patience comes like a um okay there's a lot more to go like there's a lot more to go um but with that i also think like well if i'm here right now and there's this thing and the people who are there around this age then I find that like that, um, that stretch or that spectrum is all of a sudden becomes like really exciting. It's like, okay, there's a lot more left to do. And there's a lot more, uh, life that I have no idea what I'm in for. I have no expectations of what's going to happen. Um, except I know that I'm going to do my best and work hard and follow what excites. And as long as I stay true to those things and who I am and those around me, then you know whatever happens in these next 20 years like we'll see and even that's crazy i'm like all right it might take 20 years to shoot a dune movie or to do a whatever it might take that long um and it might not and all we can do is just keep working and one thing i heard from alexis zabe who's the um dp of the florida project i got to ask i got to meet him one time asking a couple questions and he he said something along the lines of like what we're doing now is what we're going to do really for the rest of our career, just in like different capacity, and different sizes. Um, crews get bigger, budgets get bigger, projects get bigger, blah, blah, blah. But like what we're doing is effectively like, this is it. Like mm-hmm. we're doing it. We're just going to, the, the scope is going to change. Yeah. And so I find that to be kind of this like liberating thing of like, okay, now that I know the scope is going to change, I'm just going to focus on doing what I do and growing within that every day. So then you land on something that feels, um, once you're able to look back and be like, Oh wow, that's where I was a year ago. This is where I'm at now. Yes. Cool. And then you look at, you know, I, I almost see a little bit like the, um, what's, what's that analogy with technology? It's like technology either has to get twice as good or become half as cheap Mm. to kind of remain. Um, yeah, twice as good for the same price or half as cheap because things are advancing so much. I kind of view that sometimes when we go through a year, we see the growth and then we go through another year. And sometimes that year is worth two years of growth and things start, start, start to multiply. And then sometimes you go through a year and it was worth half a year of growth yeah. and it's so up and down. But I find that like within this time frame of us working, leaps and bounds start to happen and all all we can do because we have no choice of whether that happens or not all we can do is be there and be ready and work hard and then it it, it sort of it all comes to fruition amazing dude i think that's yeah. a great place to wrap up there i really really enjoyed talking to you like this was an amazing Thanks, man. podcast i really i like Likewise, your philosophy dude. i like the way that you you think you're very thoughtful um so i appreciate you sharing all of those thoughts with me today and um, where can people find you? What do you have coming up? Give a little bit of a, yeah. yeah. So, so, well, first of all, thanks for having me, man. It's such a pleasure. It's nice to be on a podcast with an equally thoughtful person and to, you know, like, and I like that your podcast is not just filmmakers. There's the whole, the wide mm-hmm. gamut of creativity in our histories. I think that's very, very wonderful. As far as people can find me, um, my website is mateosbastos.com. You can also type in mattbastos.com. I own both domains. Take you the same thing. Uh, my Instagram is at Matt underscore Bastos. It's where I'll post some of my work. And um, what I have coming up, well, I, I just wrapped up a a feature that's very near and dear to my heart. Me and some some hometown friends and pe- collaborators and, and my, my chosen family, we, we made a movie called Gazer. It's a neo-noir um, 
mystery thriller and and um takes place in new jersey new york that kind of general area and it's a very very ultra low budget um 16 millimeter thriller film that we shot over the course of like a year and a half the the director and his his partner they they co-wrote it and they um you know worked two jobs to fund this whole thing all out of pocket and it was a tiny, tiny crew, and we just worked really hard on it. We wrapped that up, and it's heading into post now, and I'm feeling really excited about it. And it's um, that's really, really fantastic. And I'm, I'm just excited to finally see that come to its fruition because we, we've been at it since early 2021, and we just wrapped it up. So that's coming out soon. Um, and then somewhere in the middle of that, I shot another feature in in Malvern, Pennsylvania, called wild and wicked and that's where our buddy high was working on uh, the team with us and um that's in post right now which is exciting so it's funny i feel like all these feature projects that i kind of worked on you know whether it's additional photography or main unit dp or whatever they're all in post right now yeah. and they all You're about they might be coming out some amazing <laughs> stuff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they might all be coming out in 2023 which is cool um which is funny because 2021 2022 was kind of like a not a big release year for me. And, and that was kind of part of my insecurity. And then I had to be present and be like, 2023 is about to pop it's off. Gonna be so pop, I think I just yeah, got to be there. Be yeah. I'm stoked for you, yeah. man. That sounds super exciting. Thanks uh, man. So yeah, that's all I got going on. And then some hopeful shorts and other fun stuff that um, we got in the works. Cool. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everyone listening. Have a great day and see you later. Musicbed has been my favorite resource for finding music for all of my videos, and now with my podcast, it has been my favorite place to find my intro and outro music. With over 40,000 curated songs available for licensing for any podcast, the music that they have on their roster will help elevate your story and whatever you're trying to share on your podcast. Finding music is also extremely easy with their browse and search tools. Use anything from genre mood to advanced filters like BPM and key. Playlists from your favorite creatives are also an amazing tool. Some of my favorite playlists include chill, hip hop, ambient, cinematic. These are just a few examples of some of the playlists that you can find. And if you still need help finding what you need, MusicBed's team can help you with their complimentary song searches. Hear the difference for yourself and sign up for a free account. Use the code CARLO at checkout and receive one month free when you purchase a podcast subscription. Thank you, MusicBed. That's all we got for you today. Thanks again for listening to the show. Hopefully you found it beneficial and entertaining. I'd like to encourage you all to share this episode with a friend and leave a review on whatever platform you're using. And as always, thanks again. See you next time.